So we'll be looking at Exodus 25 today. And uh, as you turn in there, it's the second book of the Bible. I want to take care of a few things. Thank you uh, for the invitation to preach. Thanks for worshiping here every Sunday. It's a, such a privilege to lead this church. Um, you guys are great singers, so it's really cool to... It's, it's, it's good to not feel like I'm up here alone preaching. Uh, when we talked about me preaching, uh, Doug said, what do you want to preach on? And I said, it, it, it doesn't matter, you pick. And so he said, okay, well, we'll put you outside of the series. It's awesome. And he said, you pick what you want. And so I said, okay, well, I'll pick a psalm. He said, okay. So I went down to my office, started looking for psalms to, to preach on. And about three minutes later, he came down the hall, popped his head in my office, and he said, we're going to do a little uh, mini-series on giving. You're going to start it. <laughs> so it's my uh, privilege, it really is, a privilege to um, open this up and, you know, I'm sure it'll make for great stories for years to come. My first time preaching at home, and um, I got to preach on giving, so... Let's read uh, the word of the Lord. Exodus 25, verses 1 to 9. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution from me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, Fine twine linens, goat's hair, tanned ramskins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for the setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, so you shall make it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, revealing yourself to us through it. Lord, I pray that you uh, free me from error and that you open the ears and hearts of this congregation, this people, uh, to receive your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the spring of 2001, uh, Carrie and I, who was at, she was my girlfriend at the time, uh, we had a standing appointment on Tuesday nights that we would go uh, down the hill to the chaplain's office at Geneva College. We'd set a September wedding date, and uh, we needed to go through premarital counseling, and so um, we, we used our chaplain at Geneva. He was a family friend of ours, and uh, so I highly recommend that if you are getting married, go through premarital counseling, please, because it talks about the issues that are issues when you're uh, married. And so we did this for six weeks, and we'd walk down the hill, and the last week, the sixth week, we were all excited. We figured we're going to get a diploma or something like that, and we can take it back home and say, look, we passed, and, and we can get married. But our counselor didn't give us a diploma. In fact, he... Um, crushed us. He said, you guys shouldn't get married. And uh, he was serious, you know. 
And his number one reason was the week before we had given him a, a, a proposed budget. And I thought this budget was really responsible, right? It had rent and it had utilities and food and then entertainment. And it was that order, right? But it didn't have anywhere where we could give to the Lord. And so his words saying that I don't think you guys should get married wasn't the thing that really crushed me. It was that we hadn't planned to give. I grew up here. I knew that we needed to give. I hadn't planned to give. And so I could have given him all the excuses. I could have said, we're not going to make much money. Why would we give? I was still a year left in school. So we only had one income and all of that was going to school. Why would we give? Carrie was working for the church. What sense does it make to give it right back to the church? It doesn't. But none of those excuses would, you know, be sufficient. They wouldn't satisfy him. They wouldn't satisfy me for that matter. And so since that day, we've always had a place in our budget where we are giving to the Lord. So we just read from Exodus, and the book of Exodus is God's great story of redemption, redeeming his people. And if we um, think about redemption today, we think it's something that you do for yourself. For example, um, if, you, if you read the preview and, and click the here and you get your extra credit, um, after expecting to win the, the tournament last year, the NCAA tournament, North Carolina didn't. They were beat on a, a last minute sh- or last second shot by Villanova. And they rallied around this failure to win by, they started this text, this group text message between the teammates and they called it redemption. So they rallied around this redemption theme and so when they won this year at the end, they had been redeemed according to them, right? They, they redeemed themselves, they, they, they won and so they were redeemed. And while you can draw some comparisons to what uh, a biblical understanding of redemption is and, and the current modern redeeming yourself, it's, it's not what Israel was dealing with here. If you remember Ruth and Naomi, Ruth married Naomi's son and, and, and then both the husbands died and, and they were left widows and they had to go glean off the fields. They were poor. They, they didn't get there by themselves, but what happened was there's a system in Israel that, that there is a redeemer. And so Boaz, a kinsman, a relative, came and he redeemed them from their poverty and put them in a good standing. He married Ruth. He bought the plant, their, their fields so that they can continue to survive. Three weeks ago, we finished up uh, the Galatian sermon or s- sermon series. And the first half, if you remember, was the rescue, and the second half was freedom. And Doug, time and time again, showed us how Paul was just furious with the Judaizers because they were constantly telling new Christians that they had to follow the law in order to be saved. But Paul calls upon this redemption. In Galatians 3.13, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So he redeemed us from the law. And again, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We were redeemed from the law. Obeying the law did not earn redemption. 
And just like the Galatians, the Israelites at this point in time in, in the Exodus, they didn't do anything to earn their redemption. They simply cried out to God. He heard their cry. He brings them out of Egypt. And then he gives them the law. We need to make sure we get that order right. You've been redeemed. Follow the law. So as we look at chapter 25 of Exodus, we see God revealing his plan for meeting with Israel. He, he, he gives them the tabernacle. And so I've come up with this. Because we've been redeemed, remember that's first, we should be giving to build up the church. So God gives Moses a plan for a new place for Israel to meet with God. The rest of this chapter and, and the eight or nine following is, is God revealing the tabernacle and the, and the elements in the tabernacle, the place where Israel will worship and the place where, where they will meet with him. The Lord says to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution from me. So because believers have been redeemed, we should be compelled to give. I'm always amazed at what we are compelled to give to. Um, $174 million has been raised uh, by Penn State students for uh, pediatric uh, cancer research and families affected by pediatric cancer. And the way they do it is dance-a-thon, and you'll, you'll, I mean, they call it thon. And they pledge that they will dance for 46 straight hours, or at least stand for 46 straight hours, and people will give money to that. Next week is the Pittsburgh Marathon, and Brendan, who just, I love Brendan when he leads. Um, he's running the marathon, but he's not doing it on his own. He's running it on behalf of Living Ministry, the homeless ministry that we support here at Hebron. And he's raising money for them, and people will see that he's running the marathon, and they will give money to Living Ministry. So what is it about these acts of strength and endurance and lack of sleep that compel us to give. Don't hear me say that I don't think we should be giving to pediatric cancer research. Absolutely. I think we should be. I think if your heart's moved to do that or the homeless, absolutely. But what is it about these feats of strength that compel us to give? God says, from every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive a contribution from me. God's not commanding them to give. As we've seen over and over again, following the law or giving to the Lord, it's not a necessary action to be counted as part of the elect. It's just a sign of election. It's a sign that you've been saved. The gift that, that God is asking from Israel to build the tabernacle, it's the same thing. It's, it's a voluntarily given gift. Out of respecting the, the one who's already given so freely. And, and Israel has plenty to be thankful for and plenty to compel them to give. He spared them from the ten plagues. He opened a lake so that they could walk across on dry ground. He closed the lake on the pursuers as they were catching up to Israel and drowned a bunch of Egyptians. He led them by cloud and by fire. He spoke to them uh, in Exodus 20. He spoke to them loud enough that Israel said, no, Moses, tell God we'll believe you. You can talk to him, and then you can talk to us, and we will believe you. 
He's given them plenty to say to move their hearts. And even before this generation, they've had to have heard of how he has saved them from the, um, from the famine and brought them to a friendly Egypt so that they could live. And then when Egypt started to get unfriendly and put them into slavery, after they realized that it wasn't that good, they cried out to him and he saved them from that. He's given them plenty to be compelled to move. So this is God who has done all these things for, for Israel. He's saying, give me a place so that you can worship, so we can meet together. This God who appeared to Abraham and, and he wrestled with Jacob and he saved Israel from famine and he saved them from, from Egyptian slavery. They have plenty to move their hearts. But you may be sitting there thinking, I'm not moved, and that's fair. You weren't there. You didn't see the miraculous. But it's often been said, and we've heard it many times, and and you know it, that where your money goes is where your heart is. Louis Giglio writes a book about worship, and he asks, how do you know where and what you worship? It's easy. You simply follow the trail of your time, your affection, your energy, your money, and your loyalty. And at the end of that trail, you will find a throne. And on that throne, whomever or whatever sits on that throne is of what's highest value to you. On that throne is what you worship. And so we, in our time, we worship, we value time and money. And what we spend our time and our money on is, is what you how you measure your devotion to something. And some of those things are often good. I spend my money on my kids. That's good. I spend my money on school. That's good. But if we truly believe that our highest priority is serving the Lord, then our money and our time will go to the Lord. And those other things, my kids, the way I spend my money on my kids will be for the Lord. And so as we're raising our children and our grandchildren, our highest priority will not be for them to get good grades. Good grades are good. It's good. Our highest priority won't be to get them a soccer scholarship so that they can go to college cheaper. That's good. But it's not what I value the most. As we raise our kids and our grandkids And as we spend our money, our highest priority, and especially for them, is that they are able and they have every opportunity to feel the loving arms of a father around them who who gave his son to die on the cross for their sin so that they can receive life. What we spend our time and our money on show our highest, what we value the most. And and we all have this head knowledge that it's good to give. Just like uh, when we were told that we shouldn't get married, I knew that I was wrong, that I didn't put in there. I, I just wasn't compelled to give. So how is it that you may be compelled to give? If God's not showing you the miraculous every week, how do you know that, how do you move your heart? Some of you know about our meetings before uh, worship, we, we meet in the back room and we share what we call Jesus stories. And we started doing this a couple years ago. But the, the, uh, 
the question that is asked to prompt our Jesus stories is, where have you seen God moving in your life this week? And we started doing this in hopes of creating a culture where we're being cognizant of finding God's hand moving in our lives. And so every week we have stories that they may not be miraculous, but we always have a story of grace or mercy or compassion. And yes, we even occasionally have the miraculous. And as we share these stories and we hear our, our teammates tell these stories, there's nothing that we can do except come and worship our God. It's our only response. So right after uh, worship today, we have this fellowship time. Tell Jesus stories. Find where God has moved in your life and share it. Maybe you can compel uh, a brother or sister to, to worship in a different way. So because we've been redeemed and we've been rescued and we've been saved and we've been delivered, we should be compelled to give, but also we should be compelled to give our best. If we look at the list that God gives Moses, it's gold, silver and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, fine twine linens, goat's hairs, tanned ramskins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for the setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. First, let's remember where they are at this point in time. They're in the desert. They're at Sinai. And why are they in the desert? Because God pulled them out of Egyptian slavery. But why or what were the circumstances in which they left? It was right after the Passover meal. And how was the Passover meal meant to be eaten with sandals tied and belts buckled, eating hastily. They would have lumps of unleavened bread ready to go in their bags because everything about the Passover meal was meant for a quick getaway. And, and that's what ended up happening. They, they uh, had to have unleavened bread dough ready to go because God knew that he was going to do something and they were going to have to get out quick. Remember the Lord, he saw the blood of the lamb on the doorpost in his quest to strike down the firstborn. And when he saw that, he passed over them. And then when Egypt woke up in the middle of the night and all the firstborn from cattle to Pharaoh, they were all dead. There was a loud cry in Egypt. And Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, come on in, now get Go, get out of here, worship your God. But the Bible tells us as they were leaving, Israel asked Egypt for silver and gold and clothing. And Egypt gladly offered what they had. Israel had, they had God, they had riches given to them by the Egyptians. What they had was not their own. God, his, he made his people rich because of the things that, that the Egyptians gave them. So, so what he had asked for here to build the tabernacle wasn't theirs. He had provided it. He gave it to them. It's not your own. We used to do backpacking trips uh, with the youth. And it was always uh, funny because about a mile in, you'd, you'd have the first timers and, and they'd stop on the side of the you know, trail and be like, ah, my bag is so heavy. And you're like, we're out for five days. Yes, your bag is heavy. 
And then um, they're like, no, my bag is heavy. And you'd feel their bag like, holy cow, that's heavy. It's wrong. And so we'd have to sit there and we'd have to um, go through their bags and, 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 and look and see what they brought. And so when you, when you backpack and we'd go for five days, you needed to carry food, all your food that you needed and your clothing and your bedding. And so the trick to doing that is only take what you need, right? Maybe even a little bit less. But when you know what you need, you find the lightest variety of that and you take that with you. So for food, for example, we had a kid bring Vienna sausages and that's, you know, a can of Spam. You know how heavy that is, right? It may not be heavy to lift up, but you're carrying it. So instead of Vienna sausages, you bring granola bars because they're, you know, air. They don't cost much in, in, in weight because they nourish you just as much, but they're lighter. And so just like that, Israel had to get out quickly. They knew that they were going away. They didn't know where they were going. So everything that they carried with them had value because they knew that they didn't have a place to stay when they were leaving. And so they took, you know, the, the things that were valuable to them, either financially or sentimentally, right? Because, you know, you'd, yes, take the gold candlesticks or whatever, but, you know, you also want to take the things that, that are valuable to you sentimentally. So if we look at the value of it, it should also be noted that in this list is not just gold, silver, and bronze and the, and the prettiest and most expensive colored linens, but it's also things like goat's hair and, and goat's skins. And, and they, were, they were things that were available to everybody. It was not just for the rich to give. Goat skins and goat's hair were just as valuable to the building of the tabernacle as gold was. The tabernacle was a place to which everyone could contribute if their heart was moved. So we've seen that believers should not only be compelled to give, but to give their best to build up the church. But I'm excited about this next part because if you ever want to compel me to do something, you've got to give me a why. And it's got to be a good why. And so this is the why. Verse 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Remember back to the Garden of Eden, man had this perfect community with God. He created them and they were very good. But then man sinned and he knew it immediately. And he started to make clothing for himself already. Separation between man and God. And God, you know, said that surely you will die. And he passed him, uh, kicked him out of the garden. And there's this separation between man and God. Man no longer enjoyed the, the presence of God. But here we, tell, here we see God telling them that their gifts will build a dwelling place for him. And not just a dwelling place, but among them. It's not, it's not immediate uh, restoration. It's not a, a complete restoration of his presence. But 
but it's a step in, a, in the right direction. Even before, or not before this, but if we read later on, before the tabernacle was built, God didn't meet with them in their presence. He met with Moses outside the camp. The Bible tells us that Moses would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside of camp, and the Israelites would watch and see where Moses was going. He was there, but he would meet outside of camp. But as we look at the instructions and we see in Deuteronomy that the tabernacle is to be built and placed in the center of camp, this tribe is to be on the east and this tribe's on the west and this tribe's on the north and this is on the south. The dwelling place of God is among the camp of Israel. He wants to dwell among them, no longer apart from them. He's working to live among them. But if you've ever been to one of our confirmation nights where you hear the uh, confirmands give their statements of faith, you'll recognize, uh, maybe you could think to yourself, but God is three omnis, right? He's omniscient, he's omnipotent, and he's omnipresent. So why is it that, that God would say, I want to build a dwelling place among you? If he's omnipresent, why and how is it that he's not already there? What is that about? If he's everywhere, what's, what do you mean he needs a dwelling place to be among them. Probably suggests that the, the dwelling place is not really for him, right? It's really for us. So as he's saying that he wants to have a place built for him, it's more so that we can recognize his presence. Because he is. He's everywhere. I mean, that's all throughout Scripture. He's, he's everywhere. But we need a place where we can recognize God's presence. Because if he, I mean, if you look at Isaiah, Isaiah says that God's throne is in heaven and the earth is his footstool. He does not need a, a dwelling place among us. John Calvin puts it this way, for I admit that this, the tabernacle given to the ancient people, it was given to them in order that when they saw the tabernacle so brilliantly ornamented, they might be inspired with greater reverence. And Exodus tells us that Israel responded, if you keep continuing to read uh, to, to chapter 36, Moses had to tell Israel, stop, we got enough, we, we're done. And the, and the tabernacle was completed, and the end of Exodus tells us this uh, beautiful um, description of the cloud of glory, and the Lord filled the tabernacle. And the work was complete and the tabernacle was done, right? So he has a dwelling place among us. So why are we sitting here and saying that it's good for us to give? God's dwelling place is already among us. Well, the tabernacle is just a, a foreshadowing, right? It's this bridge between that separation and complete restoration. There's still separation, though. Remember, the, the tabernacle had this curtain in it that, that separated the holy of holies, the place where God dwelt, and the common man. So there's this, there's this curtain that represents this separation. And even the, the actions in the tabernacle were sacrifices of bulls and goats and rams and, and as sin offerings so that God's justice might be symbolically appeased. 
And so even after the tabernacle, when Israel had their own place to stay, they built this temple that looked a lot like the tabernacle, still had the same thing, sacrifices, and this curtain which separate us from man. But then what does the Gospel of John start off with? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that word is, is the same as tabernacled. The, the word became flesh and he tabernacled among us. God became man and he dwelt among us. Uh, Isaiah and Matthew say, call him Emmanuel, God with us. And so God made flesh, came and he lived a sinless life, a human life. He was man. He is man. And he lived this sinless human life and then was able to be that actual lamb that was sacrificed on the cross so that we could have access to God. The Bible tells us that as Jesus died on the cross, the, the curtain, that separation between God and man tore from top to bottom and we now have access to God because Jesus lived that perfect life that was required for life. And now we have access to God through the precious blood of Christ. He was no longer the, the symbol. He was sufficient for us to have access to God. And then after his resurrection and his ascension, Jesus, God with us, gives us the Holy Spirit. And not only is the Holy Spirit dwelling among us, but all throughout the New Testament, we read that the Holy Spirit dwelt within us. So why do we need to give? Because the Holy Spirit, if you are a believer, if you believe that Christ was actually sufficient to be that sacrifice, you are the temple of God. And so when God gave Moses that command, that, that re request to build the temple... We are now the dwelling place of God. So now when we give, when we are giving to build the dwelling place of God, we are building ourselves up. And we are able to give more and more because, because we have been given more. And the more we give, the more we recognize that what we have is not our own. It has been given to us. Because we have given. Because we... Me, as a brother, a Christian, a place where the Holy Spirit dwells, with you, brothers and sisters, a place where the Holy Spirit dwells, we make up the church, the dwelling place of God. And so when we give to the church, we are building ourselves up. We are building the dwelling place of God. And he continues to give to us, through us, so that we continue to build ourselves up so that he can build, be built up so that he can be glorified by his people and through his people. So Christ, the perfect sacrifice, he redeemed us. He called his people out from under the law, out from the slavery of sin, and through his incarnation, his death, and his resurrection, and his ascension, he has given us the Holy Spirit to dwell within us so that as redeemed people, 
We can give our best to build up the church because we are his church. We are his dwelling place. Not simply so that he dwells among us, but so that he dwells within us. So that we can look forward to, as John told us and Doug read earlier, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And the voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. There is no longer separation. Again, because we've been redeemed, we should be giving our best to the Lord to build up his church, his dwelling place. You are his church. You are his dwelling place. Let's pray. God, you are good. You've given us all that we need. You've given us your son so that we can have access to you. Lord, prepare us to be worshipers of you so that we are out there blessing the people in your name, in your presence. Lord, we, we, we thank you for all that you are. We pray this in the precious blood of Christ's name. Amen.